Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are talking about all of the coping and calming strategies because we have now gone through, if you listen to the previous episodes, the four steps to the emotional intelligence blueprint or emotional intelligence framework. And we know how to, the steps for, that we need to take in order to get both ourselves and a child more balanced, more neutral in control of their emotions, able to regulate their emotions, but one of the steps, the third step, talked all about calming and coping strategies. And there are some of these that we use in the moment as more reactive strategies to get back to neutral. And there are some of these that we use preventatively to prevent those breakdowns. So you will have your bottom up strategies and your top down strategies. So what on earth does that mean? It means when you are working on things from the, from the bottom up, it's, it's talking about the oldest part of your brain from the bottom of your brain, and it's the emotional part of your brain. It's, it's where the, what we call the amygdala hijacks your thinking brain. So, so what we need to know about this, are the, these are the things that you would use or a child would use in the moment. They're those more reactive strategies. So things like movement, breathing, touch all of the th- all of those things can be used and each child will respond to those things differently but all of them have shown success in using them in the moment when kids are breaking down or when we have our own breakdowns the preventative strategies are the top down approaches so that goes in through your thinking brain and that works on slowing down your thinking brain growing that muscle and doing things to make that area of your brain stronger so that it becomes your default or kind of overrides your emotional brain. So what are some things that we could use preventatively from the top down approach? Mindfulness, meditation, stretching, uh, any of those things that we can embed into our day and make habits will help to strengthen our thinking brain and will help us to stay in that thinking brain and not have as many breakdowns or emotional state changes or mood changes. Okay, that all said, I would encourage you to take a top-down and bottom-up approach. I'd encourage you to teach kids how to do things in the moment when they're upset and also work on adding some things preventatively. So what would be some examples? A lot of people will say one way uh, to, to do this is belly breathing. I know it's a very scientific term, but 
what we're really aiming for here is diaphragmatic uh, breathing. So breathing through the diaphragm, not necessarily through the belly, a little bit higher than the belly. It's keeping kind of abdominal control and really putting a lot of air and um, kind of puffiness in your diaphragm and not necessarily in your belly. Tough for kids to do, but just want to get that terminology straight. So what would be some examples? Bear breathing is a really simple one that I use a lot for younger kids. So we talk about how bears hibernate in the winter. So you breathe in for four seconds, you hold the breath like you're hibernating for the winter for four to five seconds, and then breathe out as slowly and as long as possible. Young kids can even, um, they often get a kick out of making like a growling bear sound when they breathe out. So there's that as well. Note that when we try to encourage kids to use these in the moment and they're having breakdowns, <laughs> they might be hyperventilating or not be able to hear you. So it's helpful to practice these things ahead of time so that in the moment when they need to call on these strategies like breathing, they can access them without too much logic, reason, or thought because that part of the brain will be turned off. So the more that we practice it, the more we expose it to that, them to it, the more we model it ourselves, the more likely they are able to to use it in the moment. Another one is uh, balloon breathing, just interlocking your fingers, putting them on top of your head, raising your fingers up as you breathe in and pushing your hand back down on top of your head as you breathe out. Kind of like there's a balloon and you're inflating the balloon. You can do that with really any part of your body. You can pretend there's a balloon on your belly. You can pretend there's a balloon on your arm, on your leg, on your toes, on your nose, like wherever. Just go in and out slowly with a rising and falling of your hand against the body. If people need or kids need a little bit more um, interactivity or engagement with the breathing, you might be able to pick up a garden pinwheel flower from the local garden shop, hardware store, and they can blow on that garden pinwheel. So they get to see the pinwheel spin and sometimes seeing something happen with their breath motivates them a bit more to use it. If breathing is not working and they are not loving it, then I would suggest progressive muscle relaxation. I like to call these tense and release strategies. So it's basically isolating one part of your body, muscle group, and squeezing them really tight, holding them for about 10 seconds, and then letting them go. And it's tensing up the muscles and then releasing the tight tenseness that you were holding. And what this does is release calming endorphins into your, your system. So um, we're going to do a whole episode on this, but one example of this and the way that I probably use it most frequently is the turtle. So you take your shoulders and you squeeze them up by your ears. You lift up your shoulders, squeeze them by your ears, squeeze really tight, hold for 10 seconds, and then slowly release that tension. And it releases all that tension in your back. If one time doesn't do it for you, you can do it two or three or four or five or as many times as you or the child needs. Remember though, we have to practice these things because if we don't practice them, kids will never be able to recall them in the moment. So they must be practiced. Another one, a top-down strategy would be yoga. And it's not necessarily about kids doing the pose the right way, but just stretching and moving slowly and being intentional with the poses. And if we can find ways to motivate them to use it. Like if we can theme it, like I will often do like ocean yoga or farm yoga or jungle yoga. And I can give the different poses fun names like dolphin pose and shark pose and sea turtle pose. 
the kids are much more likely to do it. Plus, if I can have fun with it and be lighthearted and funny, they're also far more motivated to do it. And they don't need to do it for 15 or 20 minutes. They can do two, three, four poses or, you know, whatever they can last through. Plus there are lots of added um, benefits and, and you can find these things online. There are apps, there are YouTube videos. There are lots of fun ways to introduce kids to yoga where you don't necessarily have to have the background or knowledge on how to do this, but you can also just look up kids yoga online and you'll find tons of free resources. Another area is sensory motor strategies. So these are activities relating to the senses. So think about anything like sand or rice bins, or um, you can even use dried couscous if you know what that is. You can also have them push or pull or lift or carry uh, something of an appropriate weight for their body types. You can do an obstacle course inside or outside. Think like balance beam, trampoline, if you have any of those things, um, obstacles uh, that they can jump over or crawl through or anything like that. Plenty of, of things that you can use in your own household to create these things so that they can slow down and practice a little bit more mindfulness to slow down their thinking brain and help stabilize their moods. The last one is like resistance exercise. So just think of any physical exercise that we would do as adults with resistance. So we do more of strength training. Kids wouldn't necessarily lift weights, but there are a lot of other things that they can do that would be appropriate to, to get exercise or movement, bounce on a ball, jump rope, ride a bike, dancing. Um, I've even seen like the ABCs of exercise where you can do uh, all the ABCs represent an exercise. One thing I had a trainer do that I really, really loved was she used board games or, or any type of game and we embedded exercise into the game. So if it was a card game, each suit was a different exercise and each card with whatever number it had on it represented how many times you had to do that exercise. So lots and lots of fun ways to embed all of these things in our lives in the moment and beforehand to both use them reactively and preventatively. So that's just an overview of a few calming and coping strategies that we can use for ourselves and our kiddos. Not an all-encompassing list, and we'll go into more detail in the next couple episodes and break all of these things down and add a few others as well, but it'll get you started. So breathing, yoga, progressive muscle relaxation, sensory integration, resistance work, any of those things, great place to start. And that takes us to our listener question, which comes from Washington. And the person asked, how do I provide consistency to a child in multiple settings? The first thing I would do is get everyone on the same page. So call a meeting or share information through email or text or whatever the communication platform is, but make sure everyone knows what the goal is and what the action steps are that we need to take to get there. And then if you're defining those action steps and breaking them down into like actual strategies that we need to to implement, what do those strategies look like? And be clear. Clear is kind, unclear, unkind. Also really make sure that what you're asking everyone to do is broken down into smaller goals. Don't start with the um, end as the first step. Keep the end in mind, but break that down into micro steps, smaller steps, and share those smaller steps so it doesn't feel so overwhelming 
to someone and think about even those smaller steps, like how can you break them down into micro portions where what you're asking people to do is so simple. It doesn't feel like they're asking, they're, they're adding a whole lot to their day or their plate. Think about what would be motivating to someone. If you can find the motivation for them to want to do this practice or want to be consistent and and more than just it's your child you should do it but really find a, a deeper motivation for them and they'll have no problem uh implementing the strategy especially if it's effective all right so to wrap up the show our tried at home tip is a gratitude practice a pretty simple straightforward you can do a gratitude journal you can do morning gratitude you can do evening gratitude you can do three things five things one thing but just adding a daily gratitude practice because if you can put your mind, especially in the morning, in that direction, energetically on the inside, it's going to propel you upwards and forward for the day. And, and better things are going to come your way because you set yourself in motion uh, in a positive manner. So super simple. Just, you know, what I do actually is I just, in my calendar, my Google calendar, every day I have a reoccurring, recurring uh, calendar notification alert that tells me to tell myself every morning at 6 a.m. five things I'm grateful for. And I don't turn that notification off until I've said those five things. And I do five different things every day. So I actually take the time to slow down and think about these five things. And that still only takes me a minute or two. But I can honestly say having that practice in my life every day has drastically changed my overall day, my energy how I end the day, it sets me in the right motion, in the right direction. It wires my brain to be more positive and find the positive things in my day. And that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our try it at home tip, add a gratitude practice. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744. Remember, lock in what you learned by applying it right away. An easy way to do this is to leave a review or a comment with your biggest takeaway. And don't forget to subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain and calm children down. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.